0: This is the John Nuzzo Leadership Podcast. Hey, welcome to this month's podcast. At the time of this taping is in mid-November. The election has not fully been decided as of yet, so please put that into context for what you hear today. I want to bring you back, if you have not listened to the last couple or three podcasts, of something that I believe God is, is doing in our nation, that He showed me, I believe, truly by revelation In my heart, back in May, Uh, and just for context, um, in just shy of forty years of ministry, I've never said this. uh, It's because it's never been the case. But this isn't something I I believe I felt led of the Lord about, or perceived in my heart. I feel like it it was downloaded to to my heart, almost as you would as a revelation, and I saw it so clearly that that by the time we would get to the fall, the nation would be on fire, either figuratively figuratively or literally <clears throat> and obviously it's been both but right alongside that the more important aspect of that is that the that a move and a breath of the holy spirit would begin to run in conjunction with it and the all-consuming fire of our god would be more than enough to deliver those that are trapped in the other fire not so much as to to make the lives of christians better or to to remove even the uh, immensity of persecution That I believe will be coming upon the American church, but more importantly, positioning us to reach people who are far from God, people who oppose God and even oppose as a result themselves. I want to take you to a scripture in the book of Acts that really shows you the state of our nation, but the title of today is this, Rage, the Counterfeit of the Spirit of Faith. Rage, the Counterfeit of the Spirit of Faith. I want to set the table for this because this aspect of what's going on in the hearts of Christians right now is going to remove us from the ability to yield to God fully and what he's trying to do to touch and to reach the world through his people. In the book of Acts, the apostle Paul was in Ephesus, and those of you listening probably have enough context without me going into great detail, but Paul it started with 12 men, and the church exploded in Ephesus. God began to use Paul. Verse 11 of Acts 19 says, And God did extraordinary miracles miracles through Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that, that touched him were taken to the sick, and their illnesses were cured, and evil spirits left them. Verse 17 goes on to say, When this became known to the Jews and the Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear. and the name of the Lord... Jesus was held in high honor, and many of those who believed now came and openly confessed their evil deeds. This is very important in the context. Verse 19 says, a number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas, which is an incredible sum of money. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. Let's take it down into where the trouble starts to happen. Verse 23. In about that time, there arose a great disturbance about, quote, the way. The silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen, brought a a lot of coin to them. He called them together along with the worksmen in related trades and said, men, you know we've received a good income from this business. And you see and hear how this fellow Paul is convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and and practically the whole province of Asia. He says that man-made gods are no gods at all. There's a danger not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited and the goddess herself who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world will be robbed. She'll be robbed of her, her of her divine majesty. Now, when they heard this, it said they were furious and began shouting. Now, I want you to catch this. I want to bring you into a spirit of rage that, is, that has literally captured our nation. It's not new. It's not Marxism. It's not communism, socialism, capitalism. It is two kingdoms. It is no different today than it was then, I believe you're about to see an absolute parallel, what happened in that day to what's happening right now. So when they heard this, they were furious and began shouting, and they shouted, great as Artemis of of the Ephesians. Soon the whole city was in an uproar. Then the people seized Gaius and Archicus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia, and rushed as one man into the theater. That's another word for a small riot. Paul wanted to appear before the crowd, but the disciples would not let him. Even some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, sent him a message begging him not to venture into the theater. Now, why? Because his life would have been at risk. So, notice that there's an issue in the culture. There's an issue that is so, so, so serious, it's affecting people's wallets, it's affecting their power base, it's affecting their false gods. And all of a sudden, instead of processing this in any reasonable way, they begin to scream and shout. They find two of Paul's companions. They drag them into the theater. And and, and I've had the privilege of being in this place literally in, in when, I, when I visited Greece, and, and it's been excavated, and it's pretty remarkable. And here they are, and people are screaming, and they say, Paul, you can't go in there. Verse 32 says this, and wow, what a picture of the culture we live. The whole assembly was in confusion. We could say it this way. The whole country was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing, some another. And here's the best line. Most of the people didn't even know why they were there. And that is so true of the world in which we live. Most people have no concept of why they're even angry. They don't even know why they're in the shouting match. Verse 33, then the Jews pushed Alexander to the front and some of the crowd shouted instructions to him. He motioned for silence in order to make a defense before the people. But when they realized he was a Jew, listen to this, they all shouted in unison for about two hours. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. They shouted him down and they wouldn't let him speak. Does it sound familiar what's happening in our culture? So the city clerk quieted the crowd and said, men of Ephesus, Doesn't all the world know that the city of Ephesus is the guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and and her image which fell from heaven? Therefore, since these facts are undeniable, you, you ought to be quiet and not do anything rash. Now, this person would be more like the mayor of a town. He said, you have brought these men here, though they have neither robbed temples nor blasphemed our goddess. Now, listen to his admonition. If then Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a grievance against anybody. The courts are open, and there are pro-councils. They can press charges there, and if anything further you want to bring up, it must be settled, listen now, in a legal assembly. As it is, we're in danger of being charged with rioting because of today's events. In that case, we'd not be able to even account for this commotion, since there's no reason for it. After he had said this, that he dismissed the assembly. He was concerned that they would be charged with rioting under under Roman rule, and, it, and there would have been a price to pay for that. I want you to see the parallel today. The rule of law versus anarchy is nothing new. We've lived in a nation, and again, it's, it's November 16th at the time of this taping, and the election has not officially been decided, that for at least the last four to six months, our nation has fostered anarchy. City after city where people did not agree or like what was happening began to riot and burn towns down, burn cities down. Governors of, of states ignored it. Mayors of cities ignored it and even fostered it. You began to hear of, of every type of ridiculous demand from everything of uh, to, to defund the military, to defund the police. And basically, the louder you screamed, the more valid your argument. The more damage you did, the more valid your argument. And so for, for months and months, it's been tacitly supported and worshipped by the media. This is not a right-wing talking point. I'm not talking about Republicans or Democrats. I'm talking to you about a spirit of rage, how it captures the souls of men, not just those who oppose God, but godly people, people who endeavor to walk with God and do the will of God as well. And so the spirit of anarchy has swept our nation. The media, literally, you would see reports with a reporter saying, these are largely peaceful protests. And behind the reporter would be cars and buildings on fire. It's crazy. Now we have an election and there's a lot of confusion around it. And uh, President Trump has has sought legal regress to, to contend that the election was fraudulent. Now, I'll be very clear. I have no idea what's true and what isn't true. I have no concept. I don't know. I don't know any facts. But there is a legal prescribed method by which to do this. And as, let's just say, unorthodox as President Trump has been, this is not unorthodox at all. This is the prescribed method to deal with the remedy. So we live in a nation now. Where now a prescribed legal recourse is being taken, and the media is calling the people doing that the anarchists, the ones trying to destroy the the republic. Now, why am I saying that to you? Because as you watch this, no matter what your political persuasion is, people are mad. Whether what injustice ticks your box, and there's a bunch of them, there really are. People are so furious. And what I have watched happen is many of God's people have replaced what the Bible would call a spirit of faith with a spirit of rage and a spirit of anger. Just like in this case, which the same same would be told to us today, go through the courts. And it really is my hope that every legal thing could be exhausted so that because the courts exist, as we know from from the scripture, That judges were put in place so people wouldn't kill each other. And there could be a prescribed legal remedy that would be just and fair. If half of the populace voted for the other guy and 80% of that group feels that it's fraudulent, the best thing you can do for the nation is let the legal process run through. Because that would reduce somewhat of the rage. Now, I'm saying all that not to talk about the election, but to set the table For the simple reality that we as Christians right now are being deluded and being deceived to a place to where we think we are angry about something, quote, righteous. Whether we're right or wrong, we think our position is righteous, and it validates our ability to be angry, our ability to have rage. And what most Christians today are feeding upon has nothing to do with the purpose of God. If you were to go before God and say, the zeal of God has consumed my heart. It burns in my bones. What would you be being zealous for today? Would it be a political outcome or would it be the outcome that has to do with the Savior? I want to encourage you today to pivot. Now, I've had to take some extreme measures for myself. As I watch the news, as I watch inequity and injustice all around me, I've had to stop watching it because I realized me watching it and being aware of what I consider to be injustice or, uh, uh, or people violating the law or whatever, I realized that i have no power to change it. But I have been empowered to do something as a child of God. And this rage that tries to capture my heart, this anger that may try to capture and will try to capture your heart, it has actually captured the heart of a nation is going to make you invalidated when it comes to yielding to God to reach people. Rage makes somebody your enemy. And no one is your enemy as a child of God. The people that oppose you, that oppose even themselves, are our mission field. I, my prayer is that we would have the same heart as the Apostle Paul. To those who are following his lead when he was lost and unsaved, persecuting him so deeply that ultimately he was beheaded. But Paul said, I love them so much, I'd be willing to go to hell, to hell itself, if they could be saved. Imagine that. In the midst of all of the injustice, in the midst of Paul being imprisoned and ultimately beheaded, his heart's desire was, Lord, the people that are doing this to me, I'd be I would be, I love them so much. My nation, I would, the nation of Israel, I would be willing to go to hell on their behalf. That's why we're commanded in the scripture, and particularly with what God is about to do, and I should say is doing right now. I talked a bit about it in our last podcast, but I'm going to take two or three minutes and, and mention it again. For about 25 years, we've had what I would call and others have called in our local churches called what would be called the attractional model, where very intentionally church on the weekend was done to a, to be able to have people that didn't know Christ come into that environment and be able to be touched and received and reached for Christ. And that, boy, I'll tell you, for over a quarter of a century, churches around the nation have exploded as a result, and God breathed upon it. And many people who, quote, had a a deep relationship with the Holy Spirit and even the gifts of the Spirit fought it and resisted it. They pushed back and said it's a compromise. And most of those people and most of those churches became utterly irrelevant. And I'm going to talk to you about why. And here's the simple reason. Because the work of the Holy Spirit that is primary, which Jesus said, is to draw all men to the Father by Him by Jesus, became secondary to us. And we began to fight for certain aspects of the Holy Spirit's move in the church while God was breathing to win the lost through a mechanism of getting them in so they could hear the gospel. And during this time when the Holy Spirit has begun to show me what's coming to pass, not just in the nation, but in the church, it's so critically, critically important that we understand that he is now breathing upon the church being moved by the power of God, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the operations and manifestations of the Holy Spirit found in 1 Corinthians 12. And here's the reason. This nation, reason and words will not do it. They have to be touched by the power of God. But who's going to touch them? Not Jesus, not angels, but his body that represents him the head of the church, we are the body of Christ. Remember, the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you, you are critical. That's why we're told in 1 Corinthians 14, these simple words, that we are to pursue love and then desire spiritual gifts. Many believers are, are if you will, pursuing spiritual gifts and eschewing or dismissing love. First Corinthians 14 says this, pursue love verse one, and desire spiritual gifts, but particularly or especially that you might prophesy. And then he explains what the simple gift of prophecy is. For he who speaks in a tongue is not speaking to, to men, but to God. For no man understands him. Howbeit, in the spirit, or when he prays in tongues, he will speak mysteries or divine secrets. But he who prophesies, speaks, we could say by the spirit of God for these three things, to edify and to exhort and to comfort men. But he who speaks in a tongue will build up and edify himself. But he who prophesies will build up and edify the church. I wish all of you spoke with tongues, but even more that you would prophesy. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues unless he interprets so that the church may receive edification. The church at Corinth, had taken the work of the Holy Spirit, even the gifts and the operations and manifestations of the Holy Spirit, and they turned them inward. They became something they used for themselves. And what Paul was saying, the only balance to spiritual gifts is that you pursue love. The balance to spiritual gifts is that they draw, draw no attention to you, but they draw attention to Jesus. The Holy Spirit will glorify Jesus, not people. And yet, as long as Christians are captured by a spirit of rage, we can't pursue love. We can't serve the people today that are trapped. Let me give you another part of what God I, I know showed me. And, and, I, and I know most of you are not going to know me well enough to know that that's something I rarely would ever say this clearly. When I was driving in, into into the church one day, it was so clear what he spoke to my heart. He said, I'm going to go behind the walls of rage in the culture, in in the political world, in the educational world. The same way I went and rescued Saul of Tarsus and he became a Paul, I'm going to reach behind the walls of rage into people that today oppose themselves, oppose God, and hate everything about God and his people. But they have a heart toward me that you can't see. And the move of my spirit is going to sweep in those places and I'm going to rescue those people. Do you long for those that oppose God and perhaps soon will be opposing us through persecution in ways that we've not seen in America? Will we love them enough to love them like God loves them? Will the zeal of God for lost people consume my soul? Or will rage consume my soul? Regardless of how the election ultimately results. And certainly righteousness in a nation is always better than unrighteousness. That's an assumption. And I'm not suggesting you should stop praying for righteousness in our nation. That's not the point. But here's my question. What what do I really believe is the answer to our land? Is it the church rescuing people from darkness into light? And then there's the other side of the political equation. Yeah, but there's injustice here and there's injustice there. And there's, you need to take up my my thing of injustice. You need to speak about what I believe this injustice. There are more injustices than we have weekends. Let me tell you about the greatest injustice ever known to humanity. It's when God came and robed himself in flesh. And the sin of the world, my sin and your sin and my sin and punishment and your sin and punishment, was poured out on the spotless Son of God, the Lamb of God, on the altar of a cross. And the wrath of God that was due me was poured out on him. That is the greatest injustice known to man. And the only way I magnify that injustice is that when I take the blood spilled from a Savior that he gave his life for, and I create a value for something greater in my life that I give my life for. An election, an issue, it doesn't matter doesn't matter whether you're white, whether you're black. Can I promise you this, that when you stand before Jesus on that great day when our works are judged, you won't stand before him as a white or a black Christian or a person of color or a person not of color or whatever the right words are today. You will stand before him. And the only physicality of of any individual in heaven that will be marred throughout eternity is the lamb slain from the foundations of the earth. For eternity, when I look upon Jesus, I will see the price that he paid for me. I want that price to be paramount in my heart today, and I long for it to be paramount in yours. Pursue love and then desire spiritual gifts. And ultimately, when we yield to God's spirit in this sovereign move that I believe is upon us now, and the manner in which he's going to do it I talked about in in the last podcast, the primary work of this is not to create a, a, a game for Christians in church or have their own little thing that they do, but it's to draw men and women to Jesus. So finally, as we wind this down, let me quote you 1 Corinthians 14 that Paul was admonishing them. He said, if the whole church comes together, verse 23, in one place, and you just all speak with tongues, and there comes in those who are uninformed or unbelievers— Will they, won't they say that you're out of your mind? So notice Paul's focus is on the uninformed person, the unbeliever. Notice the church's focus is on themselves, edifying themselves. Verse 24 said, but if all of you prophesy or speak by divine inspiration, and then an unbeliever or an uninformed person would come in, he will be convinced by all and he is convicted by all. And his, the secrets of his heart will be revealed. And so he will fall down on his face and he will worship God. And here's his report. And he will report that God is truly among you. I want you to see that the purpose of what God is about to do and is doing right now by the power of the Holy Spirit is to draw men to him so that when God moves by his presence, that it's a relational movement that touches people that are uninformed and are unbelievers that they don't need a code to figure it out, and, it doesn't, and they don't think the people doing it or yielding to God are crazy. But the outcome is that God will deal with the intimacies of their heart that no man could know. And then they will fall on their face and worship him. And here's their report. God's in that place. How did Jesus attract crowds? The power fell and the people came. We are about to see the antithesis of what we're living in now, of a social distanced world. For those believers who yield fully to the power of God, you're going to see a draw of the lost and the undone. And there are great days ahead of us. And my hope today was to just open some doors for you to pray about and consider because God desperately needs you to to be used of him. He desperately needs your heart to be totally captured by him. I'm grateful you've taken the time to listen to this, and I pray that God expands so much more in your own soul. Let me pray for you. I want to pray for our nation, and I want to pray for God's people, that the spirit of rage, and the, which is the counterfeit of the spirit of faith, that it will be removed from the hearts of God's people as we realize that the, 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 the wrath of man, the Scripture said, does not work the righteousness of God. Let me pray for you. Let your heart agree with this. Father, for every person listening to this, we're living in a world that our hearts can so easily be captured. The sins and the weights of this world can so easily beset us. God, help us, Father, help us to live our lives so that the day that we stand before you, Jesus, that our hearts were consumed with a zeal and a passion for what yours are and is. That the lost condition of men and women on this earth Will mean more to us in our own lives, our own comfort, our own way. That the love of God would would consume us for, for lost humanity. I pray that over every person under the sound of my voice. I pray for our nation in such distress. Lord I pray that you would bring peace in our nation, but more than anything, that the gospel by the power of God, would be released in our nation and around this world, and that men would come to know you, and women would come to know you, and they'd be released from their darkness. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks so much for taking the time to listen to this month's podcast. I look forward to our next one. God bless you. Thanks again for tuning in to the John Nuzo Leadership Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love for you to rate, review, and share this podcast on iTunes. It's a great way to get the word out and to help others grow as leaders. We'll see you back here next time for another episode of the John Nuzzo Leadership Podcast.